0: On today's episode of the Sixers Beat, we spend 35 minutes talking about the play of Mike Scott. No, I'm just kidding. We spend pretty much the entire time talking about the decision to change up the starting lineup, sending Al Horford to the bench, who we think should start in his place, how we think that's going to affect the rest of the season, and some initial impressions of Glenn Robinson III and Alec Burks. The Athletic Podcast Network is supported by the Quip Electric Toothbrush, the iPhone of toothbrushes. There's a lot of misinformation about oral care. Truth is, you need only three things to have a healthy mouth. Brush two minutes, twice a day, and replace your brush regularly. The Quip electric toothbrush makes it easy. The timer with guiding pulses ensures an even clean, and brush heads are delivered every three months when you need them. Get your first refill free at getquip.com listen. That's getquip.com listen. Once again, that's getquip.com listen. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner. Joined this week by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich?
1: I'm good, man. We uh
0: it's, it's been a little bit. We uh we, we we missed you here for the last couple podcasts as you were traversing the globe covering covering the Philadelphia 76ers.
1: Covering a lot of losses. <laughs> yes. The we, uh, uh, the Sixers on the road, they just uh they just can't get it together. It's like Howard Eskin trying to tweet. <laughs> Without a grammar punctuation or just maybe gibberish error of some sort,
0: yep, all right, so I guess we'll talk about i'd lo- as much as I'd love to talk about the road and their struggles, nine and nineteen on the road twenty five and two at the Wells Fargo Center. The big news of this week was that the Brett Brown, who had sort of been hitting at this for the last couple of days announced a move that, well, not really announced a move, it came out to us with a, basically a press release, not a press release, but a printout of the starting lineup that Furkan Korkmaz, for at least a half, would be the starter and that Al Horford would come off the bench. Uh, The second part of that that statement stayed true in the second half, but they then flipped with Glenn Robinson. The third as a starter, rather than Korkmaz, who put up an offer. Uh, Two straight offers from Sixer starters in that spot, (laughs) as Al Horford was an offer the previous night. So I guess we'll start off there. And look, this is something that we've been talking about a lot. And Al Horford struggles fitting alongside Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid that we've been talking about a lot. But I guess we'll just start off real broadly with, do you think it is the right move? And is it like, wh- I guess, what what do we see going forward because of that?
1: Yes, I think it's the right move. But I don't think that Clippers game gives us a ton to go off because the Clippers are a weird matchup, one, because I, I think Brett said this either before or after the game. He said, the the real judge of things is going to be how I close games. And he didn't close with Horford in that Clippers game, but part of the reason...
0: They did have a stretch in the a fourth quarter with that lineup, though. Yeah. With the Horford five,
1: yeah. Yep. And that's part of the reason it was hard to go on, because it almost felt like they just rearranged when they played the Horford Embiid lineups. And, you know, maybe some of that is to get them against bench units where they're not going up against the other team starters. I I don't know the answer. But against the Clippers, they closed with Matisse Dibble at the end of the game. I think the only reason they did that, though, was that Doc Rivers went to Marcus Morris at the five, and the Clippers had this small ball lineup where five guys can basically take you off the dribble, three of whom can do it at a super elite level. So so I'm not sure there's a lot to go on from that game. I mean, the Sixers winning, as much as we have complained about the Al Horford fit and pointed out the struggles offensively, and amazing stat, cleaning the glass. They are in the second percentile offensively. And when I say they, I mean any lineup with Simmons, and Bede and Horford. Woo. That is, yes. that is not easy to do.
0: I am on I had the same numbers up, I'm on NBA.com though. Uh because there's you can see like per player breakdown with that. It doesn't matter. Uh, they have him at ninety-eight point eight offensive rating, which is like Process Era Sixers bet.
1: It's almost like 2014 15 Process yes. Era Bad, where they were uh I, I was just reminded about this the other day. Because I was doing a story about Glenn Robinson, I was looking up some of the numbers on those teams, and Glenn Robinson was there for a cup of coffee on that team the second process year, where the Sixers had the 13th-ranked defense in the league. Nerlens and uh, and Luke yep. deserve a lot of credit for that, and and Brett and whoever whoever else the coach was at that point. I don't even remember. Was that Lloyd? That would have been Lloyd, right?
0: L- Lloyd was definitely
1: there. I don't even know what he was in charge of at that point. I don't think anybody really cared because they were getting that ass kicked every night but that year they had maybe the worst offense in NBA history I mean I think they were a 95 which is just unbelievable yeah so it's uh I think it was a necessary move but again that game you know there were long stretches in the second half when they went to a Horford and Embiid lineup Embiid was in foul trouble it it was it was kind of hard to get a a feel of of how much they're actually going to go away from this group but you know, to your main point, do I think it was the right move? Absolutely, it was a long time to try and shake things up. And there, look, it's it's tough to do because you signed Al Horford to this massive contract in the off And as stupid as it may seem, there is a level of pride in starting games. What, it, it, I forget who had the stat. Wasn't there a stat that Al Horford, the last time he has come off the bench, was like
0: this is rookie year. Yeah, it was like what oh 0- oh five oh six somewhere in that range.
1: Um, or no, 07. I think it was oh seven or 08. Yeah, it, that's th- his his rookie year. Yeah, you know, there, there's a level, there's a hit to his pride, and you know, even if Al Horford I think is a good locker room guy and he's always pretty even keeled, that is a decision that as a coach you do not take lightly. Doing that, and I think that's part of the reason it took so long for the Sixers to make that move. But yes, they uh they need to go forward with this at some level, because it just wasn't again at home. It was working, but overall it just was not working at the level you need to. And you need to figure out some stuff before the playoffs. And like, look, we, uh, we only have a third of the season left, so time to get moving.
0: I mean, look, he said, you know, after the game, when he was talking about it and look, Al's a pretty flat guy. Like he doesn't get super high. He doesn't get super low. So it's sometimes tough to read into how he's feeling, but you know, he, he essentially said, you know, this isn't, this isn't what I thought when I signed up. This isn't what I signed up for, and it's one thing. Like, do I expect Al to buy in for the rest of the season? Of course. Like, he's a he's a professional. He's a he's a good guy. But is there is there a chance that at the end of the season he's like, look, I I want to go someplace I can start. And I'm not saying Al's thinking this. He might not even be thinking it internally. But like at some point, yeah, he probably wants to start. And this is a a conversation I'll have to have. It did sound like as much you say. It's tough to take away from what happened against the Clippers it doesn't seem like this was a temporary one game kind of thing. So him getting adjusted to this new reality, like you said, this is a guy who hasn't, it's been 12 years since he came off the bench. Oh, seven, oh eight. What was his rookie season? That's a long time. That's, that's a guy who's accustomed to starting playing big minutes. And, you know, part of, of what we're going to talk about, I guess first just closing off that, that thought that's a, that's a tough adjustment for a guy who has had a lot of success in this league and who, it does have pride and there's sometimes a line between pride and ego and, and maybe he can sort of adjust to that new reality, but it's, it will be an adjustment. We'll see how, and also, by the way, that means you have $109 million uh, of which, what it's uh 70 some odd million dollars left over the next three years to a, a backup, a guy who you're not sure you can sit, you can play next to your franchise guy. It's a huge concern. It you worry, it puts, puts a little bit of a functional ceiling on his team because you don't have the flexibility to go out and do what you want to do. I still worry that's going to cost you Josh Richardson and opportunity costs of trading for guys like Bogdanovich, just using him because he was an example at this deadline. But that's all, that's all an off-season concern. At this point, we're only worried about what's best going forward. And those minutes, really, what, when you're talking about a change like this, you're talking about dropping from about 13, 13 and a half minutes that they played all three of those players together, essentially start of the first quarter, start of the third quarter, and closing some games. And dropping to with the Clippers, they played six minutes together. So you're not going to completely change, and
1: and it might have been nine if they uh, if the if, Clippers didn't have this weird lineup at the end well, of the game.
0: Not only that, but you had you had Joel Embiid get into real early foul trouble. Um, so that that yep not only cut some time where they might have overlapped later in maybe the first quarter, but also gave Al a more extended run than he might have some other nights. Like if if his minutes are 23 rather than the what he played against the Clippers 20. Eight something around
1: there.
0: Twenty-eight. Does that does that impact his happiness and his willingness to make this the new norm? I I don't know. We'll see. But is that going to change your seasons? That can change the identity of your team. No. But like seven minutes where your team's not where your team's because look, Sixers with Simmons and Embiid on the court without Horford are averaging one hundred and ten point six points per one hundred possessions. They're basically about twelve points per one hundred possessions better. Than they are when you just add Al Horford in, and you're talking about big, pretty big minutes. So 429 minutes with all three of them together, 300, 355 with only Embiid and Simmons. So if those seven minutes, because you have a better fit now, you gain an extra bucket, an extra two buckets maybe. Like you you, we, we think of of these changes as huge, but if you can get, let's say, three points because in those seven minutes you have more functional offense, you can go from you know 110 net rating is 16th in the league, 113 is 4th. Like, the the margins between these teams aren't quite as pronounced as I think we frequently think they are. So a bucket here, a three-pointer here, that can really swing your team. So, is seven minutes going to change your team? No, but it could be relevant. And I think one of the big things outside of just the fact that fewer minutes of those three who clearly just don't fit together on the court, it also means you know, you can pick and choose your matchups, which you were alluding to earlier, where you don't have to do it against the starting lineup, against the other team's best defenders. Maybe there's a matchup Al can exploit. All those post-ups this year have been a struggle. Maybe there's something where you just don't need the spacing as much, although there's not many offensive systems where you don't need the spacing, but you you can be a little more selective. and, And I think maybe that might help a little bit, but look, my biggest, when, when the subject of benching Al Horford has come up in the past, my biggest push against it is for who? And I still very much feel that way. Like, I mean, first of all, for For what? Yeah. I didn't want to go the full Ricky there, but yes. But look, Furkan. And I mean, the Clippers came out and they had Paul George defending Furkan, which is just amazing to think of. And I mean, Furkan was averaging like 33 points a game over his last two. So you get it.
1: That was amazing, by the way, putting Lou on Josh Richardson and PG on Furk. Yeah. Furk getting the respect.
0: But if his outside shot generates that respect, you can you can you can withstand an off night or two if it means that Josh Richardson or Ben Simmons or Tobias Harris has a more attackable matchup. But look, we've seen Furcon go up and down a lot this year. The ups have been great and fun. But am I completely confident that come May, when you really need him, that he's gonna be playing at at the level he was? No. I hope he is. That makes this decision a heck of a lot easier. But your options are still Furkan Korkmaz, they're Alec Burks, they're Glenn Robinson III. Like, these are not Matisse-Thibel. These are not perfect solutions in any regard. So, what are they going to do? I don't know. Like, I, a lot of people, I think, when when Brown started, Glenn, I, I guess we'll, we'll we'll shift to there. Let's assume Al is coming off the bench now for the foreseeable future. Who's your preferred starter? And we'll get to Richie's answer in just one second, but before that, a quick word from DraftKings. As one season ends, the next begins. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook, is now live with XFL action. The XFL is back, bigger, badder, and more extreme than ever. DraftKings Sportsbook will continue to offer great football action moving into the next season of professional football. The XFL has some new rules, and DraftKings is offering you a special promo to earn some free bets. Teams can now score one, two, or three points after a touchdown. For each PAT your team converts, DraftKings Sportsbook will give you $1 towards a free bet. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code TOSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter code TOSS and get your sign up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprises a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. And now back to Rich's answer.
1: Glenn Robinson. Just because I think what you need from that guy is more of a don't take a ton off the table, right? Where, unlike Furk, he cannot be attacked defensively at a crazy level, although he did a a pretty crappy job chasing Landry Shaman around screens the other night. Um, I kind of like Furk with those second unit and B units where he can be a little more involved and potentially play against some more backups where his defense is not quite as big of an issue. Um, you could play Thibel too, although I like him playing with that, uh, that bomb squad group where it's Horford and Simmons and they're running around creating havoc. Um, but but I guess, you know, you do have a bunch of options. I don't think Burks is the guy you want there because I think you want him to mop up a lot of the non Simmons in the game minutes of which there were only five the other night. Um, So, so I guess that's kind of where I would lean with that group. But I I just think in general, back to the point of, you know, whoever it is, it, it was very striking to see when Simmons and Embiid ran those snug pick and rolls the other night, the floor was spaced perfectly. There were three guys on the other side and, you know, maybe only two and a half shooters. Like, in, in terms of Theibel, I'm not sure you consider him a floor spacer, but he has to be guarded to somewhat of an extent. You can't leave him wide open like Lou Williams left him at the end of the game because he will shoot it. You just see the ability of Simmons and Embiid. There felt like there was a little bit more space, and you know, to, to Horford's credit as well, the uh, the defense has gotten better sneakily as the year has gone on. It doesn't always look like it because he is battling— you know some bumps and bruises. He had the what was it the Achilles thing over the past week, but he had a couple of plays in that game where he inhaled a Paul George shot, he inhaled a Kawhi Leonard shot, and then beat him on the jump ball, which was pretty important. So so yeah, I, I guess you know I, I kind of was rambling there, but I, I would go with Robinson to start, but I, I certainly would keep this you know the, this alignment where you start the game with somebody other than Horford.
0: Yeah, it is in my. In a perfect world, I would love for Furcon to be consistent enough because I think maximum, like, I want, I think you want Furcon not, not, not at the JJ Redick level, but sort of tied to Embiid's hip, little, literally in that two man game. And like, I think those two, I'd love to see them. And because Embiid comes off the floor so quickly, basically five minutes into the game, if you're bringing Furcon off the bench, it's tough to maximize that pairing. But I agree with you that, like, I started the, the game the other night with Furkan trying to defend Lou Williams, and look, Lou missed some shots, but that had the chance to be catastrophic. And you're going to have at least that he didn't sh-
1: foul him. <laughs> he,
0: he didn't. He didn't. But um, yeah, you're
1: you're right. That's not something you're going to look to do. No. a lot.
0: And that's that's going to be a nightly concern. And with Glenn Robinson, it would not be. And I think Glenn, in part, because he takes easier threes, but he's probably a little bit more consistent of a three point shooter. And again, I, I mostly attribute that to his threes are mostly catch and shoot, whereas his on is doing a little more movement, even a little off dribble and, and and handoffs lately.
1: But by the way, I caught ourselves. You know, we sit behind the basket. I on the rewatch, I caught myself laughing my ass off <laughs> after that FERC pull from yeah. thirty feet in transition. I uh, I got a kick out of that. I do both, I, both in real time and then on the replay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All of Press Row had a hell of a reaction to that shot. It was 20 seconds left on the shot clock. A contested pull up three in transition <laughs> was not probably not the way to endear himself to Brett Brown and keep that starting spot. But um, look, he was feeling it the past two games. So you get it on some level.
1: He earned it a little bit, yeah. a
0: little bit, but yeah, I do think, I do think Glenn Robinson is going to be the more playable, consistently playable matchup. So you think there's a chance it could stick
1: with that. All they're looking for is five minutes.
0: Yeah. 5 minutes each 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 half. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was I, I, I like what I've seen from Glenn Robinson mostly. You know, I think there's a chance we focus a lot on Alec Burks, rightfully so because what he can bring is just completely missing from this roster. But I do think if you if you had to ask me who had a better chance of being around here next year, I think it might be Glenn Robinson in part because I think the demand for him is going to be lower, so I think he's going to be at a more reasonable salary. But in part because his skill set just sort of fits a good team. It's an an easier plug-and-play drop-in for a good team. Whereas Burks is, like, you need him now because he's the best on the team at what he does. But realistically, you don't want him to be the best on the team at what he does. Like, you need to upgrade that role. And I worry when you get a better option, like, finding minutes for his... like.
1: I, I think Here's that your... was, by the way, I think that was generally the vibe in Golden State as well. Yeah. That Robinson was going to be the more likely long-term fit, even though Burks was scoring more. But they had the uh, the numbers crunch. Keep going.
0: But it's 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 there's going to be more times throughout the rest of the season where Burks is going to drive me insane because he will. Take he was those already
1: b- driving you insane the other night S- on a couple
0: second of those. second shot of his uh, Sixers career. He was driving me insane. And that's sort of his style of play. And you live with that because, like you said, you don't have anybody else on the team that can do that, and you need that threat of a person. But ultimately, there's only 15 or 20, maybe 30 guys, maybe one per team that you sort of want playing his style who can make his style a truly efficient form of offense. And it's, he's his talent level is just not, not there. So you want to upgrade his role. But for this season, he's going to be really important because you have very few people who can shoot and dribble. Uh, he is one of those... So we shake his hand and throw him in the lineup. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I think, I think, I I think Glenn Robinson, I think people are going to like Glenn Robinson because he's a mostly, he, he, he doesn't, he's, he's an inoffensive uh, by that. I mean, someone who doesn't offend you style of player who can, doesn't have that many weaknesses that you're going to pull your hair out
1: over. His style of play lends itself to not taking a lot of stuff off the table in a way that a lot of the Sixers, other options have the potential to do. Um, so yeah, that'll be good. By the way, that was a great win the other night. Yeah, that was fantastic. You know, we talk a lot about the Sixers shooting and you know, so they've been I don't know what they are now, but at least kind of before this last week they were the worst three-point shooting team in the league since Christmas. Part of that is their personnel and you know, I think we we have now realized that they're not going to be this team that's Bombing away from three, that Milwaukee game, is a little bit of an aberration, or a lot of bit of an – sorry, I can't talk right now. An aberration where they are taking a ton of threes and making them. But, man, they didn't shoot the ball that well the other night. They had a lot of great looks that they can make, you know, I think more consistently than that. The Clippers shot the hell out of the ball on a lot of really difficult shots, and part of that is their style. They have Kawhi, they have PG, they have Lou. These guys, even Marcus Morris to an extent, these guys are tough shot makers. Sixers just played harder than them. They, I mean, Embiid and Simmons just killed them around the basket. Simmons' defense on Kawhi was really good, even though Kawhi, again, is unbelievable and has the strength to get off his shot whenever he wants. They did not foul all that much. You could see on the rewatch that they really made a point of emphasis to keep their hands up and hey if Kawhi makes a couple tough shots and if Lou makes a couple tough shots that's okay we don't want to put them on the line that was a great performance and you know I think it's funny that we're 20 minutes in and we're only talking about the basketball stuff but for a team where the conversation over the past week or so has been so little about basketball and that is a dangerous spot to be in when you're not talking about what is actually happening on happening on the court that was very necessary that type of performance um going into the break and now it's funny. You look at it. Who would you say are the three? I I guess I'll just, I'll tell you the, the teams, you know, nationally, when I hear like tears of who are the real contenders, the three that are often mentioned are Milwaukee and the two LA teams. Sixers beat the hell out of all three of those teams in Philly.
0: If you take the top four in each conference, the Sixers have beaten every one of them. Every one.
1: They're going to finish like 37-4 and at home.
0: Yeah, I fully expect that. And they might still not have a home court in the first round. It is patently absurd.
1: And that's part of the East just being good.
0: I think like... They are better than we expected, for sure. 100%.
1: We talk a lot about how the season has been disappointing. And I think from uh, fitting Horford in the lineup, I think that It's been a catastrophe, yep. Perfectly fair to point out and, and how that has worked. I mean, if you're just looking at the win total... They uh they're projected to win fifty one. I believe that's what what they won last year, right?
0: Yeah. And look, I thought I and thought they have, they'd be and better. And by the way,
1: they have the second easiest schedule in the league on the uh, remaining on the ride the schedule. Yeah. Yep.
0: Look, I thought I thought they'd be better. Uh, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I thought I was thinking fifty six, fifty seven wins. I still think they'll probably get like fifty three. So there are a couple wins under what we expected. They could be
1: more too. I would not be surprised it, for 54, they could go on a run. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep. Really?
1: especially if they have the the carrot of maybe getting home court in the first round, and Miami's only two ahead of them, although it's it's three with the tiebreaker.
0: Yeah, and I mean, look, it is. There's so many layers this season. Like there is the starting five fit, which has just been a disaster. There's Embiid coming in not in the shape that you would have wanted, and, and not looking like that kind of player a lot. There's a road struggles. There's by the Simmons way, by the not, way, with Embiid. Sh-
1: with so Embiid, I- real quickly, him not being in shape, that performance against the Clippers is precisely why you need him in shape more. Because oh, yeah. I don't know if he was expending himself more because of the uh, the self created controversy, or maybe it was just the last game the before up. the All Star break, yep. and he thought, you know, the Clippers also don't match up that well with him. They have a they have two centers who, you know, Zubac is actually kind of strong and a pretty good screen setter, but. He can't really match up with them. Harold is a terrible matchup for uh, Embiid yeah, is and a terrible off, matchup yeah. for for Harold because he can kind of stop his pick and roll stuff, and Harold can uh, deal with him on the other end. That is precisely why he needs to be in shape more because he bludgeoned them down low, and I yep. think he was probably even better than his stat line would suggest in that yep. game. Okay, sorry, I just I wanted to get that out there because that is precisely why you uh you need him to be in shape more because he is capable of that on a far more consistent basis.
0: And that's part of of you know, we we will talk about that Clippers game and everything will be about Al and moving to the bench and that seven and a half minutes where they were normally together and they weren't in that game. And was that some of it? Sure. Like I think I think Embiid and Simmons combined to shoot one for seven from the field in the six minutes they shared a court with Al Horford. Like it's just a bad fit.
1: Some of those were easy shots though, I will
0: just tell. for sure. But part of it's also that they just, like, Ben Simmons, he came off of, of screens with more authority and attack space at a way he doesn't always do. Like, Joel Embiid got deep post-position aggressively in a way he doesn't always do. Putting dudes they, under the basket. Absolutely. And they, they just played they played a better brand of their own brand of basketball. And a brand that we don't I mean, we've been seeing it a lot from Simmons recently, for sure, and... Look, Ben Simmons is playing the best basketball of his career right now. And I think we can get lost in the jump shot and look it's a it's a concern. I don't want to ever say it's not, but he is also it is true that both it's frustrating he's not shooting and he's playing the best basketball on both sides of the court of his career. And Joel Embiid is starting to look I don't want to say that cuz really he's still very up and down. I think part of it is a hand, but that is that is that is Joel Embiid at the top of his game against the Clippers. And for as much as you know, I think a lot of what the Sixers, and part of the reason that you need to move forward for the bench is you need, these are your two guys. You're winning with these guys. You're contending with these guys. I'd love to grab a third star, uh, the L. Fultz we thought he would be, but that we're not at that point in the of the season of the schedule to do that. These are your guys. You have to put them in a spot where they can be the best versions of themselves. That's not playing alongside Al Horford. That is playing alongside more shooters and ball handlers and perimeter guys. And that is the biggest reason why you make
1: that change. And also um, shifting Tobias Harris. I think a lot of four. people say yep. that he's playing the four. I mean, let, let's be honest, though. As good as Simmons is playing, he was essentially playing the two in the starting lineup with Josh Richardson as the point guard. Like like Ben Simmons isn't giving you point guard floor spacing. So oh, I no. think I think even when, when we say it's like we're moving him to the four, it's like, eh, you're kind of actually only moving him to the three. But still, that provides so much more space than what he was – growing custom to and you know while he was he was pretty bad from 3 he was uh one of the guys who I thought he took some really good shots from 3 and just couldn't make them yep. against the clippers he also was attacking like crazy in the uh in the first half of that game pretty nasty dunk in the in the first half that I didn't yeah. completely yep. know he had in yep. him. and that, uh,
0: that dunk and then the Horford block on Paul George two things that watching the the photos still of Horford's block is incredible.
1: He really engulfed the shot and uh yes. Stan Van Gundy who by the way should be their main broadcaster it's insane how much better he was than their normal TNT crew. He uh he coached a bu- I, I realized like during the broadcast he coached a bunch of those guys and I think he had Tobias Harris in Detroit if I'm not yep. mistaken. Yep. And he pointed out in the first half and he was absolutely right. He was like this is great to see because, you know, a lot of times he's looking to get to the pull-up game. He's getting all the way to the rim against these guys. And it was, uh, I think that was, at least in part, due to the extra space that the shuffling lineup provided.
0: Yep. Yep. No, I, I agree. Um, where was I going to go? At a place I was going to go, I can't think of it now. It doesn't matter. It's only a podcast. No, um,
1: no Jimmy Butler talk? N-
0: <laughs> I, I I mean I I guess we can actually no. we should get to that one one quick thing and then we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that because not Jimmy Butler so much as Embiid, which feels like a lifetime ago because they had one good win. That's the the roller coaster of this team. Yes, it is. You know we talk a lot about Al Horford and his horrific fit next to Embiid and Simmons, and that's true. But the way I've I, you can go back like a month or so ago, the way I've always phrased it, there's just a one too many problem. Even Horford and Simmons without Embiid, they have good offense. Horford plays well. Tobias plays well. There's still a role for Horford and I I honestly I don't think Horford is a different player or even a he might be a fraction worse. Maybe a fraction because you know he got a year older. But I don't think he's a material different player than he was when he was with Boston. It's just you don't have a real true pick and roll point guard uh that he can play that two man pick and pop game with. Yep. And the fit next to Embiid is just really bad offensively. Defensively, they still execute, but offensively, it's a really bad fit. So, like, I I still think Al's going to be useful. It's just, it's it's a it's a, you know, you got to make the most of it. And right now, the fit just isn't isn't it. And look, I'm not, I'm still I'm still not comfortable playing that much money. And again, it's not really even the money. It's the inflexibility going forward and the struggles to trade him on just a backup center. But I mean, that's that's sort of where we are. All right, let's go to Embiid, and we'll keep this short. Because some of the controversy was, I thought, just patently absurd. Like, the shushing of the crowd and the shut the bleep up, I don't I don't care. I, I just, frankly, don't care. You know, I think when, when that happens, it is a player reacting to frustration. And part of that is internal, and part of that is being booed. And I don't think Embiid necessarily liked being booed, but I think he it was also...
1: I don't want to like completely downplay it. He definitely he did, did not like being
0: booed. He did not like being booed. And I think he was also extremely frustrated at himself. And like when you're being criticized and you succeed, you react. And I don't like Philly has this sort of really sensitive nature about their star players. Like I didn't really care that Jimmy Rollins called Philly fans front runners. I don't. It just it doesn't affect me when athletes have opinions like that. Like I don't. I don't need all of our athletes to love us. Um. It just. I don't know. To me, it wasn't. You know. I think there's a couple aspects. Of it. Like if you were offended by Joel Embiid shushing you, like. Okay, I would, I would recommend getting a little tougher skin, but okay, whatever. But do I think... You know, I will bigger, say, if,
1: if, if you said that you wanted him traded, you're probably not listening to this podcast, A. And B, you are an idiot. But keep yes. Going.
0: I also had some people like, well, would, 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 a, would a true champion ever do that? Michael Jordan would have destroyed fans for booing him. Now, you can make the argument that Michael Jordan didn't play bad enough to get booed, and hey, Joel Embiid should be more consistent. I agree with that. What the hell
1: does true champion?
0: I I don't really know either. But, like, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, like, yeah, I could definitely see them being, like, F off. But also, like, I guess the the bigger concern is does that mean Joel Embiid's unhappy in Philly? And here's what I'll say, and this ties into the Jimmy Butler statement. Joel Embiid is not going to leave Philly because Philly fans ran him out of town. Like, he's not going to leave Philly because he was booed. I just, I don't believe that's First of all, I don't believe Philly fans are going to be on him that much where it's going to become a thing that we're talking about in a month. I think this is a very temporary thing but also my biggest concern and this dovetails into Jimmy Butler like my biggest concern isn't that he lost a friend in Jimmy Butler my biggest concern with with superstar pairings all of them is that the weight of expectations of unmet expectations eventually becomes crushing and fractures a relationship and that's when superstars leave so if if is there a concern that Joel Embiid becomes unhappy with his place in life yes that's always a concern for every superstar and, and the, the Instagram back and forth kind of shows that. But that is fixed by succeeding on the basketball court and by getting personnel around him that fits. Ding, 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 ding. And that's why this, this change in the starting lineup, I think, is like, I think you need Joel Embiid to have fun playing basketball. And that doesn't mean giving him a standing ovation because you think he's going to revolt if you don't. That means putting him in a spot where he has someone, whether that's Korkmaz or what Redick used to be, to create easy shots for him because he's in a place where he can have space to succeed in a low post, to face up and drive because the Sixers are winning basketball games on a consistent basis. That That's what will determine whether or not Joel Embiid is here in four years, not whether he was booed once in February in 2020 in a meaningless game. And it's just, we can talk all we want about whether he should have done it on Instagram. No, he shouldn't have made that comment on Instagram. No, that was his, really dumb. His post was fine. His comment, his reply to Jimmy was dumb. That's very temporary in nature. It doesn't, and look, does he like Jimmy Butler? Of course he does. Like, that has been readily obvious. Uh, but that's not going to be the reason he leaves. If he leaves, it's because they just, they that, that weight of expectations, of unmet unmet expectations becomes too much.
1: We kind of have an example of the the expectations versus how much, the two stars like each other now in Minnesota, where Carl Towns got his buddy D'Angelo Russell, and I don't think they're going to be any good. But no. we'll it'll, see.
0: They'll be good on, on half of the game of basketball.
1: Yeah, but it'll be a not train enough, wreck on the other. Yeah, not good enough to make up for the other half.
0: And guess what? If in four years they're still like that, they're probably going to be unhappy. It's not because Carl Anthony Towns doesn't like Jimmy or uh, Jimmy Butler. He he didn't like Jimmy Butler. It's not because Carl Anthony Towns doesn't like D'Angelo Russell. It's because they 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 want to they want to win
1: and And I don't you know obviously Joe and Ben are not on that level of friendship, but I don't think they hate each other. The problem no. is with this team and and I referenced this a little bit earlier whenever they start losing a little bit, and there have been a bunch of times this year where they've started losing a little bit they they have four or they have two four game losing streaks on the road, yep in the past i don't know six weeks that uh that's gonna get people talking with the expectations this team has. And then people will opine on whether Embiid and Simmons are friends. And then, you know, I don't think the Sixers have handled it all that well when Horford had the, the comment about, you know, we're working stuff out, but we're going to keep that behind closed doors. I feel like there was another mini controversy in there. Horford's had a couple of them, actually. Well, and he it,
0: shushed the crowd, too.
1: Yeah, he did, too. But it's, you know, even when Horford had that comment after the one practice about them needing to be behind closed doors. It was funny because we were there. Yep. it didn't seem like no nope. that harmful of a comment in uh in real time, especially too when you uh you listen to how al said it you know it was kind of just like, look, we're trying to figure some stuff out, but people are gonna jump on that and the sixers uh they're very much in the twenty eighteen nineteen Boston Celtics mold where if you continue to lose and you uh you know you have comments after the game people are going to jump on that and make it a big deal and and some of it might be your fault and some of it might not be but the only way to fix that and just like you said the only way to fix Joel Embiid's happiness and and all that stuff play better
0: yeah and look make sure
1: make sure you fit around your stars and one more thing i will say about embiid when they added Al Horford they were in some ways trying to make life easier on him by you know, Im- improving the team by making the minutes where he doesn't play better, but they fundamentally took two guys who made his life easier and said, we're going to try and improve the team, but we're not going to try and help you individually. And, you know, like, I don't think it was anything malicious on the Sixers standpoint. I think no. they understood the risks and, uh, r- potential rewards. And maybe they reap those rewards, by the way, in the playoffs. That's, uh, that's still to be determined. But uh as far as the risks are concerned, we've seen uh the downside on uh on one part of that calculus.
0: And look, I don't want to absolve Joel. Like I think I think there's still immaturity there. I, I don't think he has every correct answer on being a leader. I think some of his passive aggressive comments about his role and whatnot, like I think that's stuff you keep behind closed doors. I'm not sure if they really have that voice in the locker room to stand up and sort of right the ship when things go wrong, or at least nudge the team back in the right. It seems like like Josh Richardson is sort of assuming that role, except he, he is cannot not, be the leader. Yeah, he he's not. He doesn't have enough tenure. He doesn't have enough stature to real. Like you, you need one of your two stars to be that guy. And I'm not 100 percent sure that they're ready yet in their career to do that. Like those are concerns. I don't want to let him beat off the hook for. You know, maybe some of his shortcomings. I just don't like the Instagram post or shushing the crowd. I don't, I don't think those are real, meaningful examples of any problems the Sixers have. And look, if they come out and they steamroll teams here in the final couple of months and they they make the NBA Finals, I mean, this all goes away. Like Jimmy Butler, no Jimmy Butler. This all goes away. So that's where my focus is going to be. Um, I think that's where the team's focus is, and we will we will see. We will see. That's
1: about all I got.
0: I guess we should probably lean into that more. Like it could probably be profitable if we ran with the controversy, but
1: Hey, look, I I don't mind covering it. Like after the uh, Chicago game, you weren't there for that one. You know, nobody was asking him whether he was booing the, or uh, he was shushing the crowd because they booed him. And of course he gives a terrible answer, which is like,
0: yeah, that was the other thing. Like, it okay, you just a crowd. You you're playing a little bit of the role of the villain, you're pushing back. That's fine. I don't like a lot of the competitive instincts which make him a troll also I think led to that reaction.
1: Oh, I just I just like, wish he kind of owned it, you know? And uh, I mean, uh, Ben Simmons retracted after yeah. Ben Simmons retracted after the stay on your side or that side comments after the Nets game last year? I don't know. I I wouldn't have mind him owning it.
0: Yeah. All right, I think that is a good enough place nice to Cut it off. Uh, We have a couple podcasts here to do before they play another game, so we don't need to get through all of our material. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon.
1: See you, man.